Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today I have the good fortune to visit with Joe Haney, Director of Special Services at ESU 9, along with Lisa Hogan, who is an LIMHP, and we'll get into that acronym over the course of today's conversation as well. Uh, She's also from ESU 9. Uh, as we're going to really just explore the mental health services provided at ESU 9. And, and by showcasing this conversation, I think it's important from the start to say this is one of a number of different programs uh, and supports that our ESU network provides schools across our state. And I say network because we are a network, not a system. And so it does look a little bit different in different places. Uh, and just excited having had the opportunity to get to know Joe and Lisa a little bit more, some of the work that they do uh, to showcase their efforts uh, to serve their schools. Uh, with this particular support. So Joe, Liesl, thank you for being on the pod today. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to just learning more uh, about things. And so maybe uh, to begin with, if we could, Joe, from the start, will you uh, give a 30,000 foot view, I guess, of the system in place at nine and tell us a little bit about some of those services? Well, one of the things I think that it's been identified and it's been identified for a little while, but now I feel like we're really honing in on you know, our students really have a lot of mental health needs. And of course, with COVID and with all of kind of the traumatic events that have occurred, even in Nebraska, we have fires going on right now that are going to create a lot of trauma with our students. And that trauma comes out in ways that we don't want to see at school, but it needs to be addressed. And so one of the things that has been, uh, you know, I think that's been a big movement, uh, especially in Nebraska and, and throughout the nation, is how are we going to be able to support our students in their mental health needs and mental health and wellness needs in our schools. And kids have to be in a certain place in order to learn. And so that's kind of what we're helping to mitigate and mediate and coordinate with our schools. And so one of the pieces that is super important with us ends up being having the right person in the right place at the right time. And our mental health people, especially our licensed mental health practitioners, are able to provide that. And so what's been really interesting as we go through this kind of progression is that there's a couple factors that are part of our program that we've really focused in on. And especially at the beginning, when we start introducing the new service, which would be our mental health services, then schools are kind of a little bit more, you know, this is new and they you know, kind of want to try it out a little bit. And a lot of pieces that are super important end up being integration into our systems. And because every one of our schools are just a little bit different. Every one of our communities are just a little bit different. And a lot of the differences that we we see in our region end up being between the bigger schools and their needs and some of our more rural and smaller schools where students will not have easy access to mental health and, and wellness personnel. And so that's part of what we're able to provide through that integration into that school system. And so they really end up being part of that whole educational and mental health and wellness team. So that's kind of the piece that we've really focused on is developing those positive relationships around students and around parents and around just the whole community. And so that's been kind of the supports that we've been able to provide. Another thing that it's been kind of an an interesting journey is that we provide a protective factor with our LMHPs because unfortunately, oftentimes 
through those relationships that the students have with our LMHP, they might disclose abuse or there might be some other things that need to be kind of managed. And so we often help protect that student where they wouldn't necessarily get that before. And then the other piece that we're able to do because we're integrated into that system is that we're able to coordinate a lot of different activities. So for example, once we're trusted and integrated and have all these positive relationships, what we'll find is that teachers will come up to our LMHPs and will be very frank. You know, For example, there was a situation where a teacher's parent had passed away and they were struggling and they needed to be referred out to another source. And our LMHP was able to provide that support for that school system too. Um, we see our administrators that become very dependent on our LMHPs to, to help them provide supports for all of our students. And so what we've seen, not only by the positive feedback that we've been getting from our schools, but they've wanted more services. And that's kind of the main piece where we'll start with a school that wants one day a week of services. They might then end up with three days a week because that LMHP or LIMHP really gets um, integrated into their system. You know, as you're sharing that, I just love hearing that uh, I, I would kind of like parcel it out this way. You started really there with the why, right, that, that this is a prevalent issue pre-pandemic, certainly through those uh, scenarios and moving forward. There's just a lot of challenges that students, but then you also noted staff school leaders, that everyone has a need for this type of service. So if that's the why, then the how really is through integration, through day-to-day -day access uh, with a certain degree of frequency that it sounds like could be one day a week or, or multiple days, depending upon what the system has interest in. And so love to see our ESUs being flexible with their supports, all right, and, and really just tailoring to what is the need of that local district. And then from there, if I parcel this out of there as well, uh, relationships, like that's a really big part of the how uh, is the consistency and the ability to make some of those connections and through those roles that LIMHP or LMHP of which uh, Liesl is LIMHP. So uh, Liesl, uh, to bring you into our conversation here as well, then how would you sort of follow up from what Joe has uh, just shared and, uh, and maybe speak just kind of generally to, this is a terrible question. I'm going to say this, I'm leaving it in the pocket. This is a terrible question. Talk to your role on a daily basis as if there's even any consistency, like, you know, like Monday to Tuesday for example, but just broadly for those that maybe have not had an LMHP in their building before uh, and are curious about what that role can entail. Well, Andrew, that's one of the things that I love about this role. I used to be an outpatient practitioner. I had my own business and people brought their kids or themselves or their families or whatnot to my office. It was a very rewarding position, but also very sterile. You know, a parent might bring their kid in, we talk about what happened that day at school or what's happening at home. And then the kid and I talk about it and we try to problem solve it, but you're never really getting a picture of what is actually happening. So in this role in the schools, I actually have the opportunity to experience what is going on for that kid in a major system or environment in their life. So kids spend a lot of time at school and they have a lot of struggles there. So by having us there in the building, we can intervene or we can be present to understand, oh, I know that teacher. I know those kids that that kid is struggling with, or I um, can physically be there when that kid is having a meltdown and can help deescalate them. Some of that is our daily tasks. There are days that do look very similar that we see eight to 10 kids a day in 15 to 30 minute sessions. 
that are traditional therapy sessions, we tend to be more solution focused, cognitive behavioral techniques so that we can really work to do what's best for the kid in the educational environment quickly so that we can get them back into the classroom and functioning well with their peers and the staff members in the building as well. But within that, that shifts and what you're touching on earlier with trust and relationships, that is really key. And I think that that's the big difference with LMHPs is that our entire profession is built on trust and rapport. If we can't build trust and rapport with a person, with a client, then therapy isn't, is not effective. And we all sort of naturally, I would like to think the good therapists naturally do that. And I really think that that is a massive piece of integration. It's a massive piece of being able to be effective in a building is once you gain that trust and rapport with the adults, then they really come to you to help manage those situations. So we might be dealing with crisis in terms of a suicidal kid. This year has been really challenging for the ESU-9 region in terms of deaths of students and adults. So we're able to respond to that for our buildings to coordinate the trauma or crisis response, which is huge, especially if we're integrated into that system. That response really shifts in terms of how we're responding, the knowledge base that that person has to guide that response for that district, and then to provide ongoing support once the crisis, the initial crisis period has passed. Uh, We also provide staff trainings, especially at the beginning of the year, we do in-services for suicide prevention that are really impactful. We're able to empower staff members to ask the questions so that we can catch the kids that are really struggling. And then just being there on the day-to-day basis, you know, it's the side conversation in the hallway. It's the technology teacher that comes in and says they've got a lot going on at home and they need some support or help, or just wants to ask some questions about what mental health looks like for what's going on in their homes. It's all of those pieces that just kind of happen on an organic basis can make it part of our day too. It varies from day to day. Lisa, what you shared there really resonates with me as a former classroom teacher and that I understand that building relationships, particularly with students, is something that happens one drop in the bucket at a time that eventually fills to a place, right? Where you can, I'm not sure where my metaphor is going, but, but, but it's about being there and it's about being open to a point where they feel like they can, maybe that's my metaphor, pour out what they're thinking, feeling at any given time. And so I love that our LMHPs are able to be in those buildings, investing in those relationships ahead of when the services are even so it's proactive and reactive in that sense. So am I, am I okay to capture it as such, I guess? Yeah, I think it's really all three pieces. It's, it's proactive, it's protective, and it's reactive. So we're doing all three of those things. Sometimes we're reacting and then we're protecting, or then we're kind of going back and helping kids proactively problem solve to prevent things because now we understand something about a certain kid or a teacher or what, what have you. But Now, I think so much of our mental health system in this country is very reactive. It only comes into play when there's big issues or there's lots of things going on. And through this program, especially if you have a school that's willing to set up like a weekly mental health team meeting, we're able to, as a school, as the people who have the power to make decisions and make changes, we're able to come together and talk about kids that are on the radar. Even we discuss kids that we're seeing, starting to see those beginning concerns where before schools wouldn't have maybe necessarily made a referral for mental health supports until we're having bigger issues. Now we're going and saying, okay, this is what we're seeing in the classroom. And these, you know, a teacher was just a little bit concerned about this or that. This is somebody we've got to watch, or this is somebody we need to get in to kind of dig a little deeper and see what's going on. In this program, we're able to do all of that, which I think is really unique in terms of mental health provision of services. You know, and I think oftentimes our teachers will know a lot about what goes on at home. We'll know a lot about 
you know, what's going on with this family in the community. And they can actually come to our LMHPs and say, hey, this is, you know, their parents are going through a divorce. And, you know, we're seeing a little bit more issues here in the classroom. And that's, I think that that's part of the wonderful piece of this program is that it can be something as, you know, kid's grandma dies. And then that's a big impact on them. Or it can be all the way to more of these extremes where, you know, a kid's hurting themselves and has some thoughts of suicide. And and so it kind of goes through that whole spectrum. And I think that that's part of the beauty of this whole program is that it can help any kid at any time. We all struggle. And we now have somebody in that school that creates a safe space for them to go. And other unique things that I've seen, and Liesl can talk a little bit more about this, is that we've had students refer other students when they're going through kind of a harder time too, or the students refer themselves. I know that that's been an experience that you've had, Lisa. My favorite version of that is students take what they learn in therapy and they tell their friends and then their friends are doing better because they're sharing the stuff. <laughs> that's, uh, that's okay. This is maybe an odd way to like frame this question, but in the absence of having this role in a school system, what would be the traditional method by which these things would be communicated across stakeholders? And what would those supports, uh, not to be negative about districts that don't have this role, but if you could speak for a moment to the way in which this role serves as really the point person for students, staff, to make sure that there's some consistency and follow through, right? Am I reading too yeah. much in to say that well, that's a big part of this? One of the things that initially that we find Um, when we're doing an integration is that the counselors might feel a little bit like the LMHP is treading on their um, skill sets and on, you know, their turf. And what we find is that once that integration occurs, our counselors who would have been that point person end up being like, oh, I, I think this is something that our LMHPs need to to work on and deal with. So as they understand that role a lot more, they're able to utilize our LMHPs in the school and kind of create a more in tune point person. I don't, go ahead, Lisa. You, I'm sure that you had more kind of experiences with that too. Well, I, I can start by saying that I couldn't do my job without the school counselors. Some of my closest relationships in a district are with those individuals. They provide an incredible service to schools and they often end up having the most informal power in a school district um, because they're involved in so much and kids come to them and parents come to them and they have to coordinate a ton of stuff. That said, I think what ends up happening is our school counselors feel supported with our role and that they can focus on, I mean, they they have to wear so many different hats in most districts that they can focus on the coordination of their job and maybe there's more tier one supports for students And then when those issues for students become bigger or more time consuming than what a school counselor's role can manage in the day-to-day, then that's when they come to us. So the school counselor then feels like I can ask more questions. I can dig into things a little bit deeper because I know that I have somewhere for this kid to go that is going to support and manage that from here. They don't have time to sit with a kid for 30 minutes every week their entire week would be taken up if that's what they were doing and they have so much other stuff to do. So I don't know if that speaks to your question, Andrew. And I, I think kind of what you're saying is compare and contrast what it's like for a district that might not have these services versus what changes for a district that does have these services. Is that kind of what you're getting at? It is. And I, 
I recognize my own perspective to be incredibly narrow, right? I'm thinking situationally, though, of something that I experienced as, as a classroom teacher where a student randomly stopped by during a plan period uh, about 10 minutes before the bell, dropped off a note that she had started to write as she contemplated taking her own life that said that there were three teachers who she was writing to in this note that she constructed and that that's what stopped her from doing so. And then the bell rang. <laughs> and, and so here you are with this note and this really, uh, I mean, we need to get support before the student leaves the building that day. Uh, but I also have 30 students about to file into my room and a lesson that I'm expected to deliver in the next six minutes. Uh, and so the best I can do in that situation, have somebody watch my class and I go and I tell a counselor and I follow up with the principal at the end of the day and somewhere in there, is all the normal rhythms that, that those other responsibilities are already invested in, right? As you mentioned, Lisa, the counselors do phenomenal work and they're at the secondary level, you know, focused in on getting student scholarships and they're posting and do, are they enrolled in enough courses? There's so much that goes into that. Meanwhile, the principal might be getting ready for the extracurriculars that evening or whatever is coming in the door or across their desk that day. Uh, and that, you know, obviously all roles with something that critical would drop those responsibilities to the degree that they can to prioritize that student. But in something, a situation like that, I could see it being great utility for an LMHP to be in-house, to be able to go and find that student and connect with them or, you know, as you're saying, maybe there's a relationship that's already in place there because you are in the building all the time. And maybe this is someone that's been identified ahead of time. Sorry to give a long example there, but I, we are always asked in education to do so much with less and less and less and less and less. Uh, that I, I love that we're having a conversation about advocating for LMHPs because I think that this is something, this role can have a benefit not only to students, but across the system in ways that maybe I, I'd love to bring to light in our, in our dialogue. And I think I, what changes in that is in a school that doesn't have that person there, the process is, so it goes to the school counselor and the principal and they call parents and the parents take them in for an eval and they get outpatient services in place. And that's all great. I, I have nothing against any of that process. What changes when you have the LMHP in the building is even if that student gets outside services, we sign a consent, we sign releases, and now there's a person whose sole job is to check in on that student on a weekly basis or however long you know that student needs to be or however frequent that student needs to be seen based on how often that person is in the building. But now we have the support in the building. So traditionally, all of the mental health information would be out of the building. And whether or not that therapist connects with the principal or the school counselor is up to that individual therapist. And to be honest, as an outpatient, previous outpatient therapist, I didn't do a lot of that, I didn't have time. And I didn't know who to call and schools are busy. It's hard to connect with someone. You're always leaving a message and then you're trying to catch each other in between sessions. It's just, it's tough to do that managed care piece of it. So having that person in the building now, you have someone who either can talk the talk or make the space to work with that therapist one-to-one and create some bridges across those services or is checking in with that student on a consistent basis and saying, okay, here's where we are today. This is what's going on with that student today. It's a person who's specifically managing that piece of it rather than there being, this is what's happening outside of school. And this is what's happening inside of school. And we only talk about it when we're reacting to a note to the severity of a situation. I think that one of the, one of the big pieces of this program that I'm so proud of, and I'm so proud of our LMHPs for being able to protect kids. And I feel like that's one of the biggest things that each one of our LMHPs can now say is that they've helped save a kid and whether, uh, and I, I just can't, uh, 
I can't express enough how much I feel like they do and that that position does to help our schools, but definitely just to help kids. And it kind of frustrates me and it kind of irritates me when we hear people that they hear the terrible tragedies that end up happening in our schools. And we, we now have a position and a, and a person and people there that can help our kids. That's exactly what we want. And so that's, I just am just very proud of all the work that they're able to do to help kids. I would echo that and say that that is a result, it sounds like, uh, directly being able to have those conversations and be in support. Uh, but And we touched upon this earlier, uh, but Lisa also indirectly through being there in a support for staff and being in support for building leaders. Uh, and so can you maybe speak a little bit to that support as well uh, and the relationships that uh, you and LMHPs in buildings are able to foster and the support provided to the adults? I'll start that by saying that we never, well, our program, there might be some mental health programs and ESUs in the state that do it, but our program does not provide individual one-to-one services for staff members. It just gets very murky in terms of boundaries and you know, surgeons never operate on their family members. It's kind of that sort of thing. I always think of the school culture, the school staff and administration as a family. And that doing that would cross a line that would make it difficult to maintain professionalism in work. So we don't do that. But what we do is we're more of an informal support for staff members. I've gotten emails from staff members requesting help for a friend that's really struggling. Who would you recommend? Who do you, here's what we're seeing. This is what they'd like asking for referrals. I've had staff members come in from secretaries all the way up to superintendents and principals saying, you know, I'm really struggling or I'm, you know, mentally, I'm really trying to figure things out and I'm really having a hard time this year. What do I do? Or just giving them a place to kind of process and talk about what's going on in their lives or what's going on at school or how do we, I had a conversation on Tuesday with a teacher really frustrated that feeling like the hope and the positivity in the building had gone down. And wanting to share, you know, how do we impact this? How can we pull in our mental health supports to provide services for our school? Because I'm really seeing everyone around me struggle. It's really, once you have that trust and rapport, like I was saying earlier, within the school, then all the people will come. They will all come and talk if they need to. I've had after QPR, um, QPR is, it's our suicide prevention training that we do at the beginning of the year. I've had staff members come up to me after QPR training and share their own experiences with suicide or, you know, family members that have struggled or what the case may be. I don't know if that's answering your question very well, but it does touch in some capacity, most adults in the building on some level. Something I heard in your response there that I think would be a good note to spend a little bit of time on is that idea of hope. For those that listen to the podcast on a regular basis, we recorded a conversation a few months back on that topic and the impact of hope. And I know ahead of recording today, Lisa, we had a chance to chat a little bit about hope research and thinking about what impact that work could have on our schools really statewide. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I'm just sort of beginning to delve into hope as a quantifiable, definable, measurable trait for people. I think we've always thought of it as sort of this mystical, obscure thing, but the research would indicate that that's not true. And what I hear a lot when I talk about mental health in schools is, you know, I've got 17 million terrible battle stories of the tough stuff that I see on a daily basis. And for me, 
you know, I've figured out over the years how to draw a boundary around that. But for the people that hear me talk about it, it's very difficult sometimes to hear. And what I hear all the time is, but what can we do? What can we do about it? How can we change this for schools? How can we do more than just react when a kid is having a hard time? And what I see in the HOPE research is that, the opportunity to impact schools on a culture level, to impact not just the culture, but then also the individuals. We can provide training around how to increase hope for yourself as an adult. And we can also provide it to kids. How do you increase hope as a child? What does that mean? What does that look like? And we can assess them for hope scores and say, okay, these are the indicators where this child is scoring high. This is where they're scoring low. How do we provide and implement supports specifically targeted towards that space where they're scoring low so that that increases? And what the research is showing, as I'm beginning to find out, is that once a person's hope score increases, outcomes are sky high. They're much better. And in that way, now we're impacting an entire culture of a building. It's not just the 35 kids that I'm able to see on a weekly basis. It's the entire school system. We're doing tier one, tier two, and tier three and giving teachers the tools and the empowerment to know that they can actually impact a child's hope, which then impacts their performance in the classroom. I absolutely love talking about that work and thinking about that and appreciate learning that that's a part of your work or learning at this time, I guess I should say to you. And to sort of bring things to a close today, as we've been talking, I've been thinking back to the small town that I grew up in of about 3000 people. And I was really fortunate that this was in most ways, like pre-internet and the community really did a lot to support us in schools, but at the grocery store, everybody knew everybody and it took a village, right? In the way that we all think about that expression. And I, as I've gotten older, have started to feel like that village has narrowed for folks. And now living in a bigger city with my own children, like recognize it as such. And that for us, our village uh, I get choked up talking about it. Uh, for, for my kiddos and I, our village is very much our school. It's the teachers, it's yeah, school leaders, counselors and principals and the families that are invested in that place. And um, I just want to say thank you to the two of you for the work that you do to be, uh, I, don't know, I did not know I was going to go here, sorry, for being a part of Kiddos Village. Uh, <laughs> and it's much needed for like for them across a myriad of fronts, all the way back to what Joe said earlier. And this ties with that hope piece, because uh, until they are at a place where they feel safe and recognized and cared for, um, that learning piece is really hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I see that, especially in small towns, the schools are really the place where people come together. And when our schools for whatever reason, have to close down in those small towns, the town dies because the school is no longer there. I'm in some very small schools and it's just such an important piece. And I think in bigger cities, you get that by neighborhood. I lived in Omaha for a year in a really tough point in my life. And I was in a beautiful neighborhood, but it wasn't super connected to each other. And I realized in that year that where you choose to live is so much more than demographics or location, it's really about like, what is that neighborhood actually like? And do the neighbors come together? Do they talk to each other? Do they support each other? What's the school like? Not just in scores, but in that piece in the community aspect of it, how does that work? It's so important, I think, for people to have villages. And I would agree with you that we've forgotten how to create them and we've forgotten how to support them. And schools are a big piece in trying to fix that. 
I, you know, I think back kind of on, on my own experiences, but the fascinating thing to me about teaching and being part of that whole process is that you never know when you're going to be that person, like you were saying before, that got to know. I mean, that meant that you were one of the, the major players in their lives. They thought about that relationship with you in a lot. And you think about how much you were able to give to, to that individual is so significant. And that's why we're part of this whole process. That's why schools are so powerful. Everybody has that teacher that was able to inspire them, that was able to give them hope. And I think that at the end of all of this, that's really what we really want to happen is we want to be able to support all of our students. And it's harder. I feel like it's harder now. Um, and so I feel like that's where, as we look to the future of what does our mental health needs need to be and what do we need to do? That's this process that we're going through right now to where that becomes a standard operating procedure in all schools so that we can provide that uh, as a basis. Absolutely. And I, I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons why that, I think you both touched upon it, that that's been sort of overlooked or forgotten, but gosh, uh, schools, like that's my village. <laughs> and um, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, this is in part the reason why we do these podcasts is so that we can remind one another the good work that we do and like why we're here and, and that it matters and that we're not alone in doing that work. So thank you, Joe and Liesl, for spending a little time today to have some real conversations, to really capture the positive narratives that are going on, because it's really easy to uh, default to the others. And I'm really just grateful uh, to both of you and to everyone that's out there fighting a the good fight. So um, thanks for your time, your advocacy and your leadership. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you.